Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. My name is Podcast Mike, introducing this week's Friday catch-up episode with Christian O'Connell, who first appeared on the show over a year ago in March of 2020. Christian is back on the show today, and if you don't know who Christian is, I encourage you to go and listen to the first episode he did, and then listen to this one as well. He is a radio announcer in Melbourne on Gold 104, the Christian O'Connell Show, which is the number one breakfast show in Melbourne, which also airs nationally around the country in the evenings on weekdays. Christian's new book is called Nobody Listens to Your Dad's Show, and it is all about his journey uprooting his life and bringing his family over to Australia to try Australian radio. This is a really great chat. If you want to hear more Friday catch-up episodes, if we can get to a consistent $5,000 a month on the Patreon, patreon.com slash philosophy, then we will be able to put out two episodes of philosophy a week one original episode and one catch-up episode every week patreon.com slash philosophy for as little as a dollar a month you get episodes a day early and you also get them ad free so go and sign up to the patreon you can also support us by listening to some of our other shows including tofop fofop and two guys one cup an afl adjacent podcast that is all from me i will now hand over to will and christian o'connell for this episode of philosophy enjoy Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. This is how the show starts. I ask the guests who they are. Who are you? I am Christian O'Connell. I like Christian O'Connell. It's nice to have you back. And uh, M&M style, no, actually reverse M&M style. You have refused to come out of your closet for tonight's episode of Philosophy. You were recording in what I assume is... Well, I'm not here to judge. You, you, you I would, to, was going to say you you're, really wanted to. You judge I was, away. <laughs> judge away. Come on, might as well just get into the judgment now. No, I was going to say that what appears to be your wife's <laughs> closet, but like I wasn't making any judgments about you wear whatever you want to wear. I'm not here to suggest that just because it's surrounded by female clothes, those female clothes. I fear that 20 years ago, I fed 20 years ago, well, you would have made a whole lot of jokes that you and I are not yeah, going to do now. So we're in a different place. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> if you, only you could build a time machine, Will, and go back to what you could say 20 years ago. That should be your next Okay, good good place to start. Let's Because, I mean, you, you've got a book out. Uh, people should absolutely buy the book. It's full of incredible stories. But we talked about, you know, we covered a lot of that sort of stuff last time you were on the show. So... You know, we've got to look for new and interesting. People can just go and read the book. They'll fucking love it. It's hilarious. Please go and read the book. What's it called? Uh, no One Listens to Your Dad's Show, which if you heard me on Will's uh, our first chat, it's you, you can you, the story's there. So, yeah, it's called No One Listens to Your Dad's Show. And uh, so, okay, we, we talk about the changing nature of comedy. Now, I'm a person who pretty much is in the camp of, you know, society changes and we should change with it. And most of the things that I would look at from my past. Like if we did go back 20 years ago and we had a look at a couple of jokes that I did and people were like, these aren't very good jokes. I think I would also be a person going, nah, that's fair enough. That is not a very good joke. It was a joke of its time and it was joke of a inexperienced comedy performer. Have you watched Bo Burnham's new special inside? 
Oh, God, yeah. And I have to be honest, right? I think it's really good when you watch something that actually, it actually humbles you. It actually almost just like, you, sometimes you just think, well, what is the, what's the point in even doing another joke? It's like sort of the Beatles level, Sergeant Peppers, you know, something that changes everything else. It just changes everything. It's just, everything is inventive. It's innovative. You're like, and all of that takes so much work. And it's a guy who's made really a piece of art about the, it's like a definitive document of lockdown. And yeah, I, it's I've lockdown watched... the musical. If you want to yes, like, could, because yes. the songs, the songs are lying. There's 55 minutes of songs in this special, but it's not all just songs. There is a narrative no. in between. There are sketches. There is like incredible cinematography, like the technical yeah. achievement, even if it was a terrible comedy special that didn't speak to society as a large and comedy as a large, it would be just an incredible technical feat that he made this thing. But the fact that it also... Like it's not just a document of lockdown, but it is a real look at what the role of comedy is in these times. He deals with those issues of, you know, he was a teenager in his bedroom, you know, singing problematic songs, you know, yeah. like and but at the same time reflects on like he has this song problematic, which I think is just so amazing because he is apologizing for what he's done previously in a legitimate way, but at the same mm. time turning the blowtorch on the need to knee-jerk apologize for everything, and at the same time turning the blowtorch on, I think, the style of comedian who represents themselves as being edgy and problematic, and look at me, I say, you know, dark and controversial things. It's And that's just, that's not even the best song in it, and it's better no. than anything that I've ever done in my entire career. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it sort of it just floored me, and so I got two teenage daughters, and they both went through a really tough t time in our extended lockdown that we had here in Melbourne last year, and so they're big Bo Burnham fans, right? They absolutely love him, and I said, let's all watch this together, right? And. I knew some of the stuff that it was going to be about, you know, guy, they know about his panic attacks, but I didn't want to flag up. Oh, he's going to be, we're going to be getting into this. And it's really interesting sort of court of an hour in, they went, Oh dad, can we go and watch this by ourselves? You know, when it's like, I need, they just want to be one-on-one -on -one with it. They didn't want to mediate the experience where they were suddenly like, Oh my God, I'm always going to remember what this was, you know, and they were like radio had albums and albums in my life, the stone roses and oasis where I remember listening to that in my bedroom by myself. And I was so, they were like, do you mind? I think they felt worried because they, I could have been hyping up for ages. And I think they were worried that dad was going to get upset. I was like, no, no, no. I was so excited. They'd made the right choice. You need to just go and sit with this yourself and just feel your way through it and just be in awe of it. So yeah, it's kind of like, I don't know. Yeah, I think sometimes it's good to be actually humble by art that that blows you away, and then it makes you rethink your next. What are you going to do next? And if you're going to do it, put some fucking work into it. I mean, it, I'm glad you had that reaction because it's also the reaction I had. Like, I think yeah. it's, you know, genre defining. It's by far and away the best work he's ever done, but it's some of the best comedic work that I've ever seen. Like, just yeah. on every level, I just think it is. Yeah. So fucking fantastic, but it also did depress me because I just yeah. thought, what am I, what have I been wasting my time doing for the yeah. last 25 fucking years when, yeah, like someone else can do this? Why don't we just all chip in and do chores around Bo's house? My better, my better <laughs> contribution to the comedy industry would be to be able to take some of the load off Bo so Bo can keep making a PA specials. To Bo Burnham. It's like, you know, there's, there's relentless sort of, there's one song. So I think it's um, the one about white women Instagram and he changes yeah. outfits about 9,000 times. I'm like, He's been locked down by himself. That's a lot of Amazon ordering. He's had to get into all those different outfits. Who did all that for him? So I think there's a role for people like you and I to actually give 
give up comedy and just go and work as as his team and entourage. So white woman Instagram is like I, the the thing that I find just so amazing about that song is that when it first started. I was loving the special up to there and then I was like, I had this moment of going, I heard just like white woman and I thought like, is this an easy target? Like, is this going to be just a bit? Yeah, it's a Karen again, isn't it? It's that kind of shorthand, isn't it? So there are layers of genius to what I think he's done with this song. A, it's just an incredibly catchy song that you can't stop, you know, going around in your head. So just on a technical level, it's a great song. But then he starts by parodying like, you know, essentially, you know, what it, what appears on a white woman's Instagram, you know, and is this heaven or is it a white woman's Instagram? But then there is a change in the middle of the song where he's essentially yeah. been making fun of it up until this point. And then he does this pivot where he starts singing mm. about a woman posting a picture of her mum with a message about how much she still misses her after a decade and that, you know, um, she just misses sitting in the backyard with her and talking about life and she's figuring out how to go on without her, but she hasn't, it's hard sometimes and she's got an apartment now and a boyfriend and, you know, her life's working out really well and she just wishes she could tell her mum. And then at the end, she's just like, give a hug and kiss to dad. And you're like, oh, you've just painted this short story in yeah. the middle of this comedy song that's punched me in the face to go, hey, these are also real people with real emotions, you know, painting these, you know, beautiful portraits yeah. as mean, well. It's who else does that? It's like there's there's light and shade in there and suddenly it becomes this almost this a real beautiful sort of yeah, like a little short story where you go somewhere and then suddenly you're laughing at somebody, a caricature, and then your heart's broken and how do how do you do that in a couple of seconds in a minute in a in a shift in a song and and it's like my god this is incredible and so for those who haven't seen it the the uh, company visuals are all recreations of popular sort of white woman's instagram style memes like you'll recognize yeah. each of them even though you didn't know that you recognize those as they're all perfectly recreated as you said he would have had mm. to order it shoot it like yeah. do these sort of things but i think what elevates it is that most comedians would have matched the lyrics with the visuals. But he yeah, decides, no. I am going to layer just another layer of this on top, mm -hmm. which is I'm recreating a whole bunch of different visuals that I'm not even name-checking in the song, which is name-checking a whole bunch of cliches as well. It's fucking insane. I, I know I, I try not to use ableist language. There you go. That takes us back to the... Um, every, every bit of it, right, is like a sort of Fabergé egg where every single <sighs> choice and even the bits in between, there's bits where he's like breaking down and it's like, oh God, everything's here. He's left nothing. What else has he got left to say? He's literally cut himself to the bone and it's complete. You know, sometimes you watch something, you go, yeah, he almost got there. He got there a couple of times. It just sort of petered out. It sort of meandered out. You're like, no, 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 that is... That's that's it. He's done it. He's literally made the complete album. Um, and I've noticed he's released it on vinyl as an album. And I, I want to buy it as an album because it feels like that would be album of the decade. That's the album of now. You know, like what Eddie Murphy did for Of It's Time, Raw and Delirious Of It's Time. You can judge it later and go, well, those routines don't hold up now. No, they don't. And he'd be really honest about that. But in terms of something that nails the time prints sound the times like music does and there's a musicality in this in and out of the songs as well about comedy sometimes it's just that if it's a keyboard they're only some most comedians you're only really using like the middle keys the middle part of the keyboard he goes 
he like uses the whole keyboard. And the whole, you know, well, one of the many conceits that are running through it is this idea of what is the validity of comedy in these times? Is it, can you heal the world with comedy or is it just ridiculous to be joking about these things? <laughs> and his gift for language is he undercuts his own ideas. There's a, in that song comedy, there's a line about um, if you if you wake up in a house that's full of smoke, don't panic, call me and I'll tell you a joke. And in that moment... <laughs> You just like that line just sums up, yeah, like how ridiculous comedy is actually in the middle of you know something serious going on. So let's go away from just talking about how good Bo Special is, and I'll, I'm going to pose you that question. What do you think the role of comedy is in this oh. post pandemic, you know, world that we're living in? I still believe that comedy serves the same person it grew out of. And that is right. Life is 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 hard. Life is amazing, but it's hard as well. A lot of life is struggle. And I still think that laughter is one of the best coping mechanisms we have. And it doesn't mean it's a cure-all, but I mean, and that's when you know shit's really, really scary is when, fuck, I'm not even, I'm not laughing right now. I don't find this funny. But on a day-to-day thing, as a release of tension at a funeral, you know, or just someone making that perfect joke or an in-joke that you know is only funny in that moment. Like, some of like, the funniest moments I've ever been in my life was as a teenager when I had my little group of mates and you're there at lunch break and you're just sort of shooting the shit with each other and you don't care about whether or not something's funny or not. You're just in, you're in the, what we call now flow and you're loose. And that's some of the funniest bits of my life. And I'm like, I don't know if I'll ever be as funny as that again. I try really, really hard on the radio and stand up and writing, but it's that. So yeah, for me, comedy, I still think it's one of the best coping mechanisms for life. And you can make a dumb, silly, puerile joke, and you can make a really sophisticated, smart joke. And I still think, I think it's really good that we place a real value on on comedy and people who can put it together really well you and i've had success we're funny for a living and yet you and i can almost bow down it's actually what we did we bowed down and worship to bo burnham because actually we're in kind of in awe of it and you've got to just respect that i mean there's a line in all eyes on me i'm back to the fucking special but there's he does this song all eyes on me which is about the you know the conceit of being a performer it's this club banger that if it came on in a club yes. you would absolutely fucking yes. love the song but you know it is all like you know heads down praying for me all eyes on me and it's it's really about that idea of like how much of what i'm doing is for me and how much of what i am doing is for other people for the audience like you talk about being at, at you know primary school high school hanging out with your mates and shooting the shit but what you've transitioned from is doing that to going, well, maybe I can use that skill set on people I don't know, people who just know me. So when you think of a comedy bit, like, is it, it's going to make me laugh or do you have a sense of, no, I think this is something that will make, you know, all my friends in the schoolyard who just happen to be sitting in their cars or have the radio on in their kitchens as they get ready for work or school laugh. It's really interesting, right? I don't know about you. So I'm I'm 48 and now increasingly, right, I feel that as I'm starting to get ideas about comedy bits and hopefully, a, you know, a full hour show that I'll do next year at the comedy festival, it's now more about I think they'll really get something from this. I think there's something in this about, and I know it's because of the stage of my life I'm at now. When you got in, the, in your 40s, you're in the second half of your life. 
And it is like you wake up one day and you go, wait, I die. Oh, God. And, you know, it's like you don't need to. And you shouldn't be worried about that in your 20s and 30s. But in your 40s, it's suddenly like you're in that arena. You know, you're you're heading towards it's now it's not a distant thing. It's like it's becoming closer. And so I think that that's a really interesting time of life to talk about, actually, where there's a bit more resonance and weight to what you're saying. So the other day, one of my teenagers, we were having an argument. She stormed off to her bedroom. And this is a regular scene, right? She slammed the door. And I, I made uh, two hot chocolates for us and got some biscuits. And it was like a hostage, FBI, hostage <laughs> negotiator, right? And I went, look, I'm not coming in. Don't come in. I went, I'm not going to come in. I'm just going to leave these outside <laughs> by the door. And I tried to have a conversation, right, <laughs> at a door, right? And I don't know any more about this bit, Will, but I don't know what it is. You haven't got teenage daughters, but what I can see you getting, right? I, it's like... There's something in that. You've been the teenager, whether you're a dad or not, the other side of that door. And it's just, there's something, I don't know, there's just something in that. That's not. You know what I love about it is that essentially, you're a person who in most situations has like a great deal of power. You're the person with your name on your show, the person behind the microphone, you get to make decisions. You know, you can control a room of like people in a stand-up club, you know, kind of get them to laugh when you want them to laugh and gasp when you want them to gasp. And yet this teenage girl (laughs) can just completely best you. 16 years on the planet just has, yeah, I'm actually frightened of her. I'm frightened of her. And you made her. Like, you yes. made... <laughs> like Created your own monster. She would not exist without you getting yeah. involved in it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I think at the moment I'm more interested in stuff where I'm trying to... I guess I'm trying to say something rather than doing bitty, bitty bits that are mm. going to be funny. I think I'm more interested in something now which has got a bit more... I don't know what the way to describe it but i just feel like now it's about having something to say around teenage years ours mine yours hers theirs what it's like as a dad now what it was like for my dad because i go to my dad now it was a piece of piss to be a dad in your time because you did virtually fuck all you know it was almost like a zen buddha he just the odd grunt the odd the odd words you know it was always like my dad worked really hard like yours he's a working class man he works in a car factory so mama was like you know don't bother your dad he's just got home from work so right so he was you know he was a very loving dad but it was like you know we look back now (laughs) i didn't do a great deal was now i'm constantly like researching gluten-free recipes you know, and I'm that. I'm actually that. I got called a helicopter dad, and I was like, "Yeah, shit, my gone overcorrected. My dad doing nothing. I'm doing too much." You know, making I made you gluten free cookies, and they don't fucking respect you for that. They just think you. I mean, asshole. I love that age. I love my dad, and, but here's what you got to remember also, though, is that like I absolutely love and adore my dad. Like, couldn't have yeah, like too. you know part of the reason that I get to do what I want to do is that he, even though my life is completely different to his. Like he inspired me to pursue something that I love for a living. He loved dairy farming. I love stand-up comedy. They're very different things. But at the heart of it, it was just find something that you love to do and, and you know, do it. What a lovely thing to give your son, though. And it, it, that's just amazing. I love that. But I will say this, not someone I've ever had many deep 
you know, conversations with, like to the point where I remember one night my sister and I were with dad on the couch. This is about as close to an insight into my father as I've ever got, which was um, we were watching the Olympics and I said to dad, would you love us more as children if we were Olympians? And my dad, without hesitation, said yes. <laughs> didn't even have to think about it. No, no, like, I always like, had an answer chambered ready for that question one thank day. fuck they've finally asked. <laughs> <laughs> Wowee. Oh, my God, Will. That's incredible. <laughs> have you done that on stage? No, but it is a true story. That is oh, a, God. That, that, it makes, that, it makes my sister – it's one of those you know touchstones yeah. of your relationships with your siblings totally. where whenever I want to make my sister laugh, I remind her of the time that I asked her. Because she's like that one of the things, like, yeah, so that happened. Um, you know, and in that frozen moment, that defines something, doesn't it? I remember when I first moved out, like, out to Australia and my wife's mum had a heart attack. She had to go back with my kids for a couple of weeks and we'd only been here six weeks and I was alone. And it's a really miserable time. My dad rang. And I was like, I don't know whether to take this. We, he won't, he won't care for like me getting to the emotion of it. So I thought I'd just give him a chance. And my dad rang and went, Oh God, this is awful, you know. And I went, Dad, I'm really struggling like I've never struggled before. And there was a moment I went, I'll leave a gap for him to say something. And he went, Southampton are struggling in the EPL at the moment. <laughs> and it was like. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. Are they? Why? Why is it? The defence is all over the place, son. It was like, he thought this is what he needs, <laughs> what he needs right now. It's distracting. Let's focus on Southampton FC. That's what you need. This is what you need right now. And I was like, oh, yeah. Okay. Let's, um, let's shut that down. That's enough struggling. All I will say, though, is like because my father and I do have very different ways of approaching the world, and I would like to consider myself to be um a like hopefully a more in-depth and you know person you know in in regard to like he's he's very in-depth about the things that he loves farming and you know cricket and football and you know neighbors who i absolutely don't remember who have injuries that he needs to tell me about but that's pretty much there is areas of passion and outside that there's not a lot of other conversations about the world or anything like that it did Sometimes when I wanted to learn how to do those things, I was like, ah, oh, I wish you'd taught me a few more of these skills because like, I didn't learn a lot about how to hold an adult conversation from you going to bed at 8 o'clock every night and listening to AM radio because you had to get up early and milk the cows. Well, I guess also they just had – they were exhausted and we've got more awareness than them. And, in, and I think it's every generation do a better job than a generation before. So I guess they've raised better people in the world, hopefully. So – and I hope that my kids are already smarter, kinder, more, way more aware of pe people than, than I ever will be. So that's the way it should be. What's the biggest misconception you thought about the world when you are a teenager that, like – you know, or you thought was going to be important when you were a teenager that just isn't. When I was a teenager, I, I looked at my parents and you saw that stuff like um, they go to bed when they want, they can have snacks whenever they want, whatever snacks they want. I thought that, that's, that's fucking living. I mean, I can't wait to do that. And then when you get to do it, you always think as a, as a teenager, what? being an adult is going to be like that it's just going to be amazing it's like you get to the highest level of donkey kong and it's like wow what it must be like to be in that world every day with all those skills and that power and then you get there and you realize oh it's not what i thought this was going to be you know and a lot of it is 
a lot of it is a never-ending to-do list of like dull admin and just how much utter mundanity there is on a day-to-day life. And I'm someone that I'm blessed. I get to do a thing in the morning radio that I've always loved and always will do. And, you know, I get to write, write books, and hopefully I'll be doing stand-up later on this year and next year. But there's still this, with any life, there's still this to-do list every day, you know, and it's like I didn't know it would be like that, you know. And I brought a gratitude journal a couple of weeks ago, and I gave up after a while because I was finally in the evening, I was like, I can't just write every day the radio show. My wife, my kids, I was like, how the else am I grateful for? What's there today? And then one day, this is why I just closed it, went, I'm not doing this anymore. It's actually depressing. The only thing I could find this go for is I found a parking bay quite near where the dry cleaners was. I had to pick something up for and I went, that, that is not, that's not a life. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just ditching this gratitude journal. it's not doing me any good now so yeah as a teenager i just thought life was just unlimited sort of cartwheeling free-falling fun and there are pockets of that and you can't live in that kind of chaos but didn't you think that as a teenager oh yeah i'm surprised at how hard life is yeah i but someone should have warned us will like you know on our 18th as a blowing out the candles whatever you're doing your dad should have pulled you aside and went this is as good as it gets mate it's fucking (laughs) hot Why do you think I go to bed at eight o'clock and listen to AM radio sobbing? All right. (laughs) (laughs) The only thing that would have made any of this worthwhile is seeing you compete at the Tokyo Olympics. (laughs) As a a 47 year old, just make a comeback for dad. This one's for you, dad. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's interesting to me like in some ways how unprepared for life I felt when I finished school. Like I wonder if everybody finished, yeah. feels like that, but so much of not, though. I mean, what you're taught is utter, you know, it's like you've been taught a language, isn't it? The grammar of what we call education. And then when you leave, you realize that, that currency, that language, that's not real world. That that's not gonna, that's not gonna help you one bit to navigate what you really need. Yeah, it's kind of strange how that, that system still exists. And it's like, how do we expect kids to get through it at 16, 17, 18, 19, 21, all these transitions with absolutely no training or kind of how they're meant to pick up what from the parents? Osmosis? Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it, it is. It's a really interesting thing to think about. But also, like, I think that we've lost track of, um, again, I, I don't really have an insight into what the current day education system is. So this, you know. No, it hasn't changed. Rest assured, it's exactly how it was for you and I. Some of the, the methods around it, but it's more or less the same. So I think the major thing that we overlook is that we forgot, we have forgotten what the purpose of the things we are doing Ah, so like for example, if you like, everyone at your like school has access to play like you know football. Let's just say football for the sake of this analogy, right? And out of that football team, like maybe one of those players might go on to play like you know professional football or like high level football, and there might be a couple of others who like you know you know use football as a profession. But most of the people who play in that football team, what they're learning are like. You know, how to work in a team or how to be part of a tribe or like just how to have fun exercising or all these things. And we treat people as failures if they're the fourth best player in their football team because they're not going to you know go on and have a professional football career. Whereas if we were asking the question, but were they a good teammate? Like were they good at – like even in subjects at school, 
it should be less about whether they're great at geography as opposed to history, but how good were they at applying themselves to learning about something and being enthusiastic about it and working on projects together? Because chances are they're not going to be in a job where they need to know everything about history and everything about geography and everything about maths. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, and what are the skills you need in any job? Teamwork, cooperation, problem solving, you know, creative independence and all that kind of stuff, which is really, really important. That is every day of any job. And yet there's there's no there's nothing on that. You and I need to set up our own school. Well, the other thing is like most of life is just about how you get on with other people. So like most of the activities of school are really just like meant to be putting you in like zones with in the real world, you're going to have to meet heaps of people and work with them in all different sorts yeah, of ways. Some of them are going to be dickheads. Right. How, yeah. How, how do you deal with that without getting really annoyed and yelling at them? Yeah. And I guess that even that approach where you're like, this guy's being a dickhead. You're like, yeah, this is a good moment for you to learn how to deal with someone who's been a dickhead. Because here's what I can guarantee you for the next 60 years, you are constantly going to yeah. encounter dickheads. They'd be dickheads. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Get good at it <laughs> now. Cohen Brothers movie. Yeah. <laughs> there be tickets. <laughs> um, what is it about the current world when you look at it that confuses you between the way that we behave versus what you think we're really about as human beings? I think that there's uh, there's um, there's so much, and this is. Uh, a result of technology leading us somewhere without any of us thinking, where's it going? And I love my phone. You're on one part of Australia. I'm another part of Australia. Technology is letting us do this, right? So our lives are better for it. However, when it comes to the area of social media, and I've got so much great stuff from social media, and I use it, and I really, really enjoy it. I love to go up some interesting, funny people on there. I find out about like Bo Burnham special on there before anyone tells you about it. So I, I, I get a lot from it. That said, there's an awful lot of people who present this version of themselves as being a kind, caring person. And then suddenly they'll watch the Harry and Meghan Oprah special and they go, she's a lying bitch. And you're like, hang on a minute. And we're co- we are contradictory people. Every single one of us is between what we say and actually how we act. But I, I put a post up after the Harry and Meghan thing. We all watched it together, my wife and our daughters, and we were saddened by it. I found it really heartbreaking, right? It was like, there's no there's no functional family, even my own family, my wife and I have done our best, but we're aware now. Yeah, I thought it'd be really easy to be amazing parents. Maybe, maybe I got it 2% better than my dad, you know, at the end of the day, that's all I'll be able to say. So it's like an it's like an exaggerated dysfunctional family, which the royal family is the definitive most dysfunctional family ever, right? It's not. It's just so, so unhealthy in some levels. But anyway, just what she was talking about the, the victimization and almost being suicidal. And I just put something up, thinking if you follow me on Instagram, you probably think a bit like me. Find the world like this, and I was really stunned and kind of saddened that. A lot of people were calling me uh, like snowflake and were saying typical like libertad. Like, I've never taught you, don't you not know? I do, I vote. Um, I just got to do with my politics about being a human being. And it, I was just really, I was just really saddened. I just thought we, we, we've become really crystallized in our opinions now. It's not like it's, it's almost like a weak stance to say maybe or I'm not sure. Wouldn't it be nice to just be on the benefit of the doubt that she's had a tough time rather than really formed opinions and i you know i look back we were talking at the beginning of this about you know jokes we made 20 years ago and things i said on the radio 
I think if you are a human being, the most important thing is to keep evolving. How, what great! I'm glad that I don't think what I did two years ago about certain things, let alone twenty years ago. Yeah, and it's so, it's a good yeah. thing mostly. Yeah, like that's healthy, isn't it? Oh, uh, you've changed your opinion. Yeah, yeah. What, is that bad? <laughs> yeah, that I did. Bad? I received. Yeah, I took on some I, new learning. Yeah, yeah. I received some extra information that really turned me yeah. around. Someone's changed their tune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah because <laughs> like when you first asked me, I didn't know anything about the topic, no. and I just said something. Yeah. Because I didn't yeah. want anyone to know that I was a fraud and didn't know, and now I've actually looked into it, I was completely wrong. So yeah, what about you? Same question to you. What do you think about the sort of the way of the world now and what's going on? Uh, there's a slight connection. I, I would think that perhaps we've forever, you know, we we used to go and watch people stoned in the, um, you know, in the courtyards, you know, and. Like there is a part of human beings that loves to be a mob, and now that mob has just been able to be online and you get an anonymity there that like obviously there's something about human behavior that needs that i just feel th there's a line that i used in we legal where i talked about because i was accused of uh, there's no such thing as bad publicity somebody said that i said there's no such thing as bad publicity and the reason i hate that somebody thought i said that is because i actually think that's at the heart of many of the problems of our current world is that we've stopped differentiating between good publicity and bad publicity and we treat them exactly the same. You get the rewards of bad publicity as much as you get the rewards of good publicity, right? And that's how you get Trump and you get the worst of Kanye and you get, you know, like, you know, there is rewards inbuilt in the system now just to being, you know, yeah. bad and terrible. I actually think that goes counter to who we are as human beings. I think we're incredibly tribal and we're at our best when we remember that we're connected. Like for me, the thing that I, we get so caught up in the day-to-day -day is if any of it's important when like the only thing that's really important is that we are a, I was going to say miracle, but that implies some sort of religious aspect to it. But we are such a random set of circumstances that who yeah, we are- it's not a religious thing. Actually, just to say what happens on a biological level, how is that not a miracle that your mum and dad fuck and then nine months later you crawl out of your... Well, you don't crawl out your mum. Oh, mean... Again, that's a shocking, shocking morning. You know, it was <laughs> once out to a flyer, crawled out. How long was labour? Three minutes. Baby crawled out. I've been pregnant three years. <laughs> But anyway, yes, the, 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 the miracle, as you were saying, the miracle. But yeah. the fact that we are what we are is yeah. in itself just, I, I, I think sometimes that we forget that, you know, everybody is a part of you know, that miracle then. Like, you know, that, and, and it's not as good a miracle if everybody isn't able to share in the fact that it is a miracle. Because for a lot of people, this miracle isn't a miracle. For a lot of people, they are born into a life that makes this miracle nothing but fucking misery. And I think yeah. that we don't, as a human species, like we kind of tr yeah, try to look after our own. And I get that. Like, yeah, there's an aspect of localism that is involved in tribalism. But, but in a general sense, as a human race, like I, I feel like, wouldn't it be amazing if we all just got on the same page and tried to work together? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, because actually, what is it when you see a sad story or a movie and it all moves us together? It's like when you go to see a music concert or you go and see a comedian 
and you're all feeling the same thing. Why is that? Because you realise it's, th- it's those moments you realise we're actually we're, there's a oneness, there's a, a, a connectivity to it. And it's like when something really moves you, a sad news story, and you see someone else, the kindness of a stranger, that always just melts my heart. And it's like, well, we're, that that is available to all of us every single day. It's just that we need to be reminded of it to come back to it. But it's always in there. It's just that we just ignore it. We move away from it a lot into anger or seeking to uh, or to be uh, judgmental or have an instant opinion on something online. Love, hate. It's all very binary, isn't it? You know, and we lose sight of each other. We're becoming more and more uh, individuals, really. We've lost a sort of tribal feeling. Well, you that's, you have a little tribe of – well, not not a little, like a, a substantial tribe of your own. I think Breakfast Radio in particular feels tribal to me. It still feels like you're yep. reconnecting with your audience as a tribe and we, this, there is in-jokes and stories that continue. Yeah, and- you build your own universe, you know, and, I, and I, I love that. Yeah, you have your own shorthand with them. You try not to make it too him because you don't want to – you don't want anyone who's tuning in for the first time going, I don't get any of this. They're like the cool kids at school. You don't want it to be like that. But yeah, it is incredibly tribal, yeah. Okay, so what do you then, because you have a community, you have a tribe, mm. like what is it that you hope is the overwhelming philosophy of that tribe? You know, because any leader in that situation, there'll be key principles that they're trying to communicate, whether they say yeah. them out loud or whether they're, in what they decide they will do on air, they won't do on air. You know, you are creating something that has a set of principles. What are those principles? Well, it's changed over the years of doing breakfast radio for 23 years. For I guess the first 10, 12 years of that, I just thought it was all about being the funniest I could be and funnier than the others. It was the relentless pursuit of being funny. And I loved it. It's before I had kids. It's who I was. I loved it. I lived and breathed comedy. And... I loved it and it worked up until a point and then it didn't work anymore. It just wasn't right for me anymore. It didn't sit right anymore. And suddenly I was getting older. My life was changing and I was I was a dad and that really changed me. And I didn't like that. It felt like a persona then. And then it wasn't, well, this isn't me. And I felt that I, it took me quite a while to dial back into, God, what, what, who am I then now? If I'm not that, how, how do I still, I still want to be funny, but I need to evolve some other bits too. And, the biggest change in my whole 23 years of radio was coming to Australia. That really, really, really just changed everything. Not that I, it, it wasn't like from day one, you know, um, I built the show completely differently, you know, using all that experience. It was just things happened here that sort of really, I don't know, just sort of opened up my heart and I had no other choice than to talk about on the radio. And then when I realized it started to connect more than the jokes with people here who were quite hands off with me to begin with, because I was an English guy on the radio and they didn't want to hear me. I would represent the wrong kind of change. You know, they were like, no, just the concept of an English guy. We don't know you. We don't, well, no one asked us, you know? And so, but when I could get those areas uh, that weren't about jokes, that were about vulnerability or listeners who are having a tough time, those little pockets in the right way, not a contrived, kind of it's the crew to the rescue every morning at 10 past eight you know that just reading out an email from someone or listen to a caller who is really struggling and not rushing them off and there was an awful moment that felt an awful, awful moment for me when a woman was talking and it was so heartbreaking i actually started to cry and i couldn't stop myself will and i was like oh god what are they going to think now of this 
over-emotional Englishman on the radio. And I remember going to the ad break and actually almost running to the toilet past producers, right, just to go and have a word with myself. And then when I came back out, I saw all the phones were flashing. I was like, oh, fuck, I bet they're going, just send him home now, you know. And I said to my producers, what, what are they calling him about? He goes, they just want to talk about what just happened. And I was like, oh, right. Well, what do you mean they want to talk about it? And so we then just took calls now. And I was like, it was then a moment of awareness. I was like, all right, maybe just to, just to write little moments of this when it's right and has an integrity, I could make that part of the show as well. And so for me now, it's really opened up what we can talk about on the show at breakfast time. I want to be that all our emotions, good, bad, sadness in the right kind of way we can create a kind of space for that on the radio that's not could that be a thing and i love that even though sometimes it frightens me when i go oh god this story's really sad you know is this gonna be too much for the audience how do we get through it and that's not every day day by day but when it's the right little pockets they hear that and they really connect with who you are so for the first time ever three weeks ago i start to talk on air because i said my book's coming out i said look in the book, I talk about these things I've never talked about before, that I had severe anxiety attacks, panic attacks seven years ago. And I had to I had to stop doing radio. I just couldn't do it for about two or three weeks. I had to go and get help. I'd never talked about it. Only four days ago, I even talked to my mum and dad about it. And I did it because I was embarrassed. I felt ashamed. Even though I got help, I got better. It was never something I talked to anyone about. It was just something I kept sealed away. I thought I'd better say a few words or not on the show and move on, Right. I started to talk about it and it all just came up. I don't know. It just came up and I started crying. I was like, oh God, not this again. And I forced myself to stay in, in it. I was like, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to run away from it. I'm just going to stay here now in this blubbing mess. And it was like three or four minutes of horrible, uncomfortable struggling to speak. And then I did go to an ad break. And since that happened the last three weeks, I've been getting all these emails from people who like, I thought I knew you, you're always that dependable guy in the morning, he's funny, got that one line, is always in a good mood. And then suddenly when that guy go, go, goes, hey, listen, it's fucked, isn't it? Let me tell you about something happened to me. Wait, I can't speak, I'm gonna start crying now. And it comes out of nowhere. They're like, what well, I thought they feel like, oh God, we just want you to cheer us up. We're going to a job we don't even like. Why is the clown? Why is he taking his clown pants off? You know what's what's. But honestly, the emails I've got from people sort of sharing their stories, and a couple of them have actually said, I "Feel like I really know you now." That's been amazing, absolutely amazing. I, you know, I haven't read out those emails on air. They're, they're private with their stories, but feeling that and talking now with you about you know uh, us being connected, and I've, I've seen that in the last three weeks and. And that's amazing, you know, and so many people saying, God, I can't tell you, just, I've always loved, like, when I saw Billy Connolly when I was a teenager, it was when I was having a bit of a tough time, and he just made, he just made my life light up with that laughter, and just, he just did something, it's like being, it was like something being tapping, tapping me on the head and just lighting me up, and a couple of people said, oh, well, just hearing you struggle like that, it, um, it made me feel a bit less alone. And I was like, Jesus, that's what we all need, isn't it? Whether that's a whether that's a comedian leading you somewhere, which is what comedians do over, you know, when they're doing 10, 20 minutes, they're leading you somewhere. People want to be led. We all do sometimes. Bo Burnham took you and I on a journey that really, really moved us and then utterly depressed us and almost made us retire and resign. But I, I yeah, I feel... I feel these are conversations. It'd be great if Bo came out, by the way, and just said that was the intention of the special. He was like, I really need to <laughs> shake some 
<laughs> just some old fucking driftwood out of comedy. There's a lot of middle-aged comedians yeah. that need to be put out to pasture. Shout out Will Anson. <laughs> Shout out to Christian O'Connell. Just quit. It's my final <laughs> song. It's called Will and Christian. Just quit. <laughs> <laughs> um okay but yeah, yeah. well so i think this relates to the conversation we're having before about social media which is that part of i think the difficulty we have with social media is that it presents unrealistic reputation uh, representations of like yeah like somebody's like? you know if it's being mean that person probably isn't that mean all the time if they're being presenting their life no. as being perfect they've got that perfect picture on instagram at that perfect event their life probably isn't that perfect all the time either so it's almost the fact that you let people know here's a guy who most mornings i'm going to come out here and give you a laugh no matter what your day's like but i don't want you to ever you know be thinking oh look at christian he's got his shit together like i feel like a loser because i don't have my shit together like you gave people a moment to like i always feel a bit when i talk about life being hard on this show like i i absolutely know that i've had a very lucky life and i'm surrounded by all levels of privilege and like if if my life is hard then there are so many people in the world who are doing it so much harder but i don't think it makes it any easier for them for me to pretend that my life is perfect. I think it at least lets no. them know that, like, you know, I think life is just fucking hard. Yeah, it's a universal truth, isn't it? You know? Um, and I think, actually, it's even more relevant now. People really – I think more and more people are aware that the system or isn't working enough in their favour. Um but they don't know what else to do. It's like, well, what else can we do? It's kind of like, this is it. And it's that kind of futility and that like, that kind of, oh, you know, it's always going to be like this. But but then when you get those little bits where someone can, can touch on that and connect with it through comedy, music, art, or whatever, movies, st- storytelling, I think that's really powerful. And that's why comedy is still really needed. Really needed. It's just as relevant as music or any other art form. Do you have a moment from your radio career where it doesn't I'm not sort of asking what's your favorite interview but I'm asking more is there a moment like is there that one answer that somebody gave you or that one moment that you shared with somebody that like elevates it as being sort of more special than any other yeah definitely yeah yeah there's there's this one that will always stand out actually because it sort of just sums up I don't know my first sort of three years here um and one of the listeners who saw something in me and at that time i really was starting to think i don't think this is going to turn around and shit i'm gonna have to go back to the uk and i don't have a job and what's that going to do to the kids schooling and all that and i was really right on the edge of where i thought i don't think i could do this anymore to my kids and myself and then it's out of the blue you know, and maybe I think everyone hopefully has had this moment in their life where someone just drops in at the right time. It's a stranger sometimes. And it was just an email from a listener and called Peter, Peter Logan. And he he, he wasn't very well. He was he was in his mid-50s and he didn't do the old poo test that you get in this country. And um, he wanted me to warn listeners, you know, to do the test so you don't end up like him. And uh, I rang him and said, why don't you come on the show and talk about yourself? And he did. And no one around me really thought it was a good idea to have a guy talking about um, bowel cancer at 10 past state in the morning on, on breakfast radio. It's a, it is a bit of a change from the secret sound. 
uh, you know, and mystery voices to have a guy talking about having basically, you know, bowel cancer. But at the end of the show, I said, what are you really here to say? And he did. He just, I don't know. He just spoke so honestly and rawly about regret. And he had his teenage daughters, who were like 19, 20, 21 with him. And he sort of looked round and he said, I'm not going to, I won't get to walk them down the aisle. It's hard to live with that kind of regret. And it was such a real thing to say about regret. No one really talks about it a lot like that. People go, we try and make it all right for them, don't we? Like, I don't worry about it. It might not be like that. But actually that that was the reality of the situation. Then he said, don't, don't, don't let that happen to you. And it was like a sort of mini sermon. And even now as I'm talking to you, I can still remember what that was like in my body, right? I didn't feel like I was on the radio. It didn't feel like anything I'd ever done before. It didn't feel like radio. I felt like it was something else. And it was. And within a couple of weeks, um, people sending about their, 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 their kits back to the council council went up over 600%. He literally changed people's behavior in their lives. That to me, when people go, what's the, what's the, what's your favorite bit? What stands out? I, I, you know, they've done thousands of things where I think, well, that was really funny. That was really clever. Or I said that one line into a caller, but actually what really stands out genuinely now. And if I'm on my deathbed one day when it all flashes back and I've got like the highlight reel, I'll always remember Peter Logan and go, that was something else. That was really something else, actually, you know, amongst so much noise, it's ephemeral in Breakfast Radio. And I understand that. I get it. And I love it. The fact there's a brand new show tomorrow and another one Monday. I love all that. The relentlessness of it all. But that was like something that I, oh, that was something, I don't know, that was something of real value. That was something special that mattered, that counted to something. He, I'm actually getting a position where he spoke his truth, that that stands out. And it was a, it was a moment for me in the show. It changed everything. After that, I was like, right, okay, what else can I do when it's right, when it presents itself to me? I don't go looking for it. And that all, that all came from um, that guy, Peter Logan, just sending me an email, you know, thinking maybe he reads this. Uh, and I'll, I was always really touched by that. So, yeah, well, that. it's you recognising that somebody was looking to be heard. And maybe you wasn't looking to be heard on the radio, but you then took that and, you know, extrapolated that into something else. But I think so often one of the hardest things is, and I think this is where people feel disenfranchised from politics a lot, is like you hear them say, I don't feel like I'm being heard. I'm telling yeah, people, true, you know, what's wrong in my life or what's gone wrong for me and nobody's listening to me. And I think sometimes people just need to be heard as well. But the other thing is regret. What a powerful oh, God. Yeah. idea because we all have regrets. Like that's what yeah. we, we, you know, in a lighter way, what we were joking about earlier about going back to your material 20 years ago. There yeah. are things that I regret that I said and that I regret that I Any did. Relationships, right? You know, oh, um, that, that that's the one to me where I've been married, you know, 23 years, but I still sometimes I feel sometimes I'll be having a nice day. You know, we have that awful recollection. Of you walking down the street or going for a dog walk, right? Then suddenly they should go, hey, remember this awful thing you did once? Like, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, my God, I tried to forget. And it's like, why is this coming back to me now? My my sort of recollections become a Christopher Nolan movie. You know, why so am I being confronted with this? And you think, oh God, I'm an awful human being. I wasn't that moment. Or when I was impatient with one of my daughters, you know, and then as they walk away, embarrassed a bit, right? I was like, oh God, you know, and I go and chase something. I'm really sorry. I was really offish then. I'm tired. And I was a bit pissed off about something earlier. Hey, what is it you need? 
and you can see that you what you created in them and you don't you don't like that part of you that flared up then yeah regret's an interesting one isn't it it's it's not something we're very good at is it or, or knowing what what do you do with it like considering that we all have them again it's one of those things that i just wish we spent more and that's what's so powerful about that story you told is somebody put the idea of regret like to be seen for who you are to not be like getting a false platitude of like, no, this isn't, it's not going to work out like that. You're going to get to see them walk down the aisle, right? That is somebody going, you're not hearing me. What I'm saying right now is that I regret, you know, the decision I made that is most likely going to result in this thing. And that's a real thing. And like, it's a human thing. And it's a thing that like, yeah, people need to see and acknowledge and we need a better way of just because I think that also dealing with your regrets, I would suggest that sometimes when you reflect on those things that you did badly, they're hopefully the things that have turned you into a person who would not do those same things today. So in a way, they're really important part of your life. The reason that you don't behave like that and you haven't behaved like that for years is because you had this time where you behaved like that and you regret it and you yeah. decided to behave in different ways. Like, I mean, I think that we we not only kind of shun it as if it's embarrassing, but we mm. we could flip it on its head and say, no, 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 no. Often your regrets, the things that you regrets were the things that motivated you to change and be a different person. Maybe you can look at that regret in a, a different way. Yeah, I love that. It's a better way to kind of uh, look at it, isn't it? To reframe it and actually you're in the right way. You're as much of a, uh, uh, made up of your faults that you corrected as you are your kind of gifts and successes, really. I think that's uh, far more interesting, yeah. Well, yeah, to, to use it in a stand-up context, which because it's more my area than, you know, psychology. But, you know, you learn more from your bombs than you learn from your good gigs. Like you yeah, prefer but you to need the bombs, right? It's, the, it's right. the joy of the bomb because even in a bit where it, where it becomes, say, your closer, like it becomes a killer 20 minutes, Maybe that was fully formed like that, but maybe it was only like 20% once and then you worked it and you worked it and you got it to like 80% and you left it and thought, well, now every time I do it, I'll add in the live each night, it will get up to 90, 100% because there's enough of a kind of heat to it now, enough of it's in place. I love all that, that struggle and damn it, there's something not right about this. Oh, I know what it is. I, sh I need to begin at the ending of the story and then it's funny to go backwards because they all know what happened. It's like, I'm, I'm not getting it right. What, what do I need to learn? What are they trying to tell me about this? I love all that, that, that struggling to get it right and then working out the magic in it. When you came to Australia, you uh, for people who don't know, I'm sure that people mm -hmm. know, but you went to Melbourne and Melbourne is, a for international listeners, um, the heart of... AFL football, Australian rules football, and you can't really exist in Melbourne without having a local football team. So you chose a team. Which team did you choose? I went for the D's. The Melbourne Football Club, who mm -hmm. like had been a uh, basket case for a very long time, <laughs> is the actual truth. Like yeah. you got on, like you bought low and – at yep. the moment, they are riding high. What has it yeah, been Yeah, but they weren't like? three years ago. And I've had three years of all going, because actually you don't, in adult life, suddenly pick a, a footy team or a sports team. You have that as a kid. It's either your dad's team, your mum's, your family's. It's kind of, it's, it's like what blood group you are. You don't really sort of spend time weighing it all up, thinking about it and so that. But I had to very quickly because it, it really was like, it was like a religion. And it was like, 
it's not like they need to know that you go to church every weekend, but they just know to know that you worship the same God. And it was bad enough I was English, but don't think there's any life for you here without just at least do the right thing and pick a footy team, right? And so it was so intimidating because people go, it better not be the Tigers. They've just, they've just won the flag. It better not be the Pies because all those fans are inbred. So it's like, all right, okay. And it better not be the guy who I took the show over from. He was a massive Hawks fan. Don't be talking about Hawks anymore. All right, so throw away those three teams you can't pick. Then it was like, it's got to be one for the teams that are in Melbourne and not like, say, out in Perth or, you know, in Sydney. So straight away, it was like, this is so intimidating. This is what, but this is nothing to do with the radio show. And then it was like, I just go for Melbourne because it felt like a neutral, like Switzerland. They are the, the, the city of Melbourne's team. Right. <laughs> and people, people just went like this pretentious that's what the first person said they went why is it pretentious they went they're renowned for sort of being middle class and loving right wine and cheese went, well i do like wine and cheese and also going to the ski and the slopes well i hate skiing but they went well two out of three you're a you're a, you're a cliche i mean even the plummy accent i mean yours is at least your accent but it's an accent that a lot of melbourne fans are rocking regardless of where they were born yep. Yeah, exactly. So all of that for three years is like, why did you do that? Why didn't you pick a decent team? Why did you do that? And then suddenly this season, they've become one of, if not the best team, right, around. They're amazing. And so now people are like, don't get cocky. So I don't even talk about it, right, Will? I don't even talk about it on the radio. And it's killing me because I want to go every Monday. God, because that's what it is to be a sports fan is to struggle, just a couple of years of them, everyone laughing at me, right? Now, now this is, this is amazing. I don't know. Do I get optimistic? Is it going to always be like this? I'm confused about this new partner, really, that's changed. And they've done some work on themselves. But they're going to go back to their, their bad old ways and trash the joint? I don't know who I am in this relationship anymore. But people are like, we don't want to hear about it. You're right. <laughs> Just keep it to yourself. There's that line. I think it's a movie, Network. It's, not, oh, it's, it's an Albert, Albert Brooks movie where John Hurt says to him, who's just got the big Anchorman gig, you know, what do you do when uh, all your wildest dreams come true? And Albert Brooks goes, keep it to yourself. And I remember that <laughs> one of the greatest lines in movie ever. Right? What do you do when all your wildest dreams come true? Keep it to yourself. I think that's such a good Every day philosophy. goes by. I just think about that all the time. So now I just think about that line as I'm about to go on a Monday morning. Hey, geez, didn't they look amazing? Uh, Petraga, Cosy Pickett. I just go, keep it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I just keep my mouth shut, you know. No, uh, just, so, Cosy Pickett as is rubbish. Uh, for people who don't know, Cosy Pickett is um, uh, an incredible uh, young. 17 year old superstar, isn't he? Like you get in any sport sometimes where they're just like a a fully formed phenomenon. Yeah. And is the son, I believe, of uh, comedian, comedian Kevin Coprinuri, who's been yeah. a previous uh, philosophy guest. And uh, you yeah. can go back and check out his episode if you're interested. But this is the age I have now. Because I think growing up, you always see sports people as being like fully grown adults, even though now most of them are young enough that they could be my children. Even to be honest, yeah. I think almost even the oldest player in the league could almost be my kid. You know, like it's, they they are actually boys compared to what I am. And I know that now because every time Cozzy Pickett does something good, I actually say to people, I know he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> and you were moaning about your dad earlier, how he just gives you a list of all his mates with and their ailments. 
like wiki local illness and then you're going i know his dad that's well he's dead so he's dad's thing, proud of his son because his son's playing in the afl like that's like going to the yeah. olympics i will say yeah, exactly. one of the things that i think and i don't know if it was an intentional thing or not but my father was very into the idea despite the fact that he is a geelong fan that we all chose our own teams oh, that's and a great idea. like i think in reflection that was as early as I remember starting to get that lesson that later developed into the idea of you don't have to be like me. You just have to choose something that you like and you can love it in the way that I like the thing that I love. It doesn't have to be the same thing. What a great what a great thing to take from that and your dad to give you all, though. I love that. Like We're family, right. but we're individuals. Um, I, look, I'm conscious of time, so uh, we have to start wrapping up. Last time that uh, you were on the show, I didn't ask you this question because it wasn't in the roster of questions back then, but this is a new question. So um, on my yeah. desk, it's as close as I have to an inspirational saying. It's a little uh, piece of metal and inscribed in it. It says, what would you attempt if you knew you could not fail? And the way that I interpret that is just to like imagine a scenario where the project you're working on is super successful what would you ideally like that project to be? Success is already guaranteed, right? So you don't have to do something for it to become successful. It can be anything that you want to do in the entire world. What would you attempt if you knew you could not fail? Right, this is this is really weird, right? Do you genuinely have that quote written it's on, down It's on desk? a piece of metal inscribed in, on, on my desk. Right. After we do this, I'm going to send you a photo and you're going to see what I have written on a post-it note on my desk, right, right under my monitor. And it actually says, uh, and, I, 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 and this is in the book as well, it actually says, what would you do if you knew you would probably fail? Because that's what I felt about coming here to Australia. I didn't think it would work out, but I knew I had to give it go and come here. So me, you know, I said at the beginning, I would really, really love to be able to put together a comedy special that actually really nailed uh, about what it is to be a teenager now then for for us I, to do that really really well to do it right i'd love to better pull that off i think if i could do that oh that would that's like a really I, you know at the moment i feel like i won't be able to do it right so i'll just leave it it's too much to take on it feels too intimidating there's too much in there how do you make sense of it all and to put it together with jokes but also don't have too many jokes and it just be throwaway and disposable how do you leave something where people have seen it afterwards and it stays with them a bit that i'm like i don't think i've got the skill set to do that you know but that if you're saying it's going to work out just do it if I'm really honest, without overthinking it and trying to be smart, generally right now, I think about that show and can I pull that off? This would be a real stretch for me. Um, can I Can I do that? It intimidates me, the scope of it. It makes me anxious, but I can't stop thinking about it, Will. So if you were to say, don't worry, it's all going to work out, then uh, I'm, I'm, I'm plowing ahead. I like that. that. Now. I think that's good. I like that. That felt like a bit like Babe Ruth style, coming out and just pointing at the... Felt like you were just saying that out loud, so now you're held to account to actually go away and do it. Well, I mean, I never said that. What's happened now? I'm saying that you've made the promise to the people <laughs> that you can pull off a teenager special. Yep, you're going to book the room for me, are you? At the comedy festival next year. <laughs> tickets, tickets confirmed. I'll put March a link 21. to tickets in the show notes. It's on sale. What would it be for you? What is the answer to that question from you? I'm fascinated about what, what I don't next know. for you. I mean, I... I, I I don't know. I, I ask the questions because they're obviously things that are always 
on my mind. The, my pet project, mm. which is not the answer to the question that I asked you, but if I was going to, like, I could do something that I didn't, like, when I'm developing a project, obviously I develop things that go, this is what, you know, within my world, within my skill set, like, this is the project, right? But if I was just guaranteed of success, I would love to do a show like South Park in that, like, do a weekly turnaround like animation show yeah. with my friends where like every week we went in and we were just like this week we have to make a show and at the end of the week you had a show and then you got to go away and do that again. I think that would be – I guess that goes back to you and your friends, you know, sitting around the the playground shooting the shit. I guess if I could turn that into an actual proper job, that would be a, a, a great scenario. And why did you choose South Park? What, because you love what – um Try and oh, yeah, I, there's this incredible documentary like uh, about the yeah. making of South Park, and I just it's brilliant. I watched it, and some people who've watched it with me like had like panic attacks watching it. You know, they were just like, I can't believe, you know, the fact that they literally like you know conceive, write, animate, you know, an entire episode of this like show. And also, like, it's a really funny show, but there's real intricate um, storylines. And, and social commentary. Like, you know, I mean, the, the idea yeah. that you just have this thing that you can comment on society, that you can be funny and you can do it with your friends and you... What a yeah, great vehicle it would be to actually say amazing and, and jokes, but making a point. Bill Hader, who's like an amazing comedian and actor, won an Emmy for his uh, recent two drama series, Barry, which is really good. When he left SNL, wanted to to know more about how to become a better writer and structure because all he knew was like jokes and stuff like that and actually went to work on South Park even though like you're Bill fucking Ada what do you want to do voices like no 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 I just want to learn how you make the show and actually worked on the show and Nat then went on and left and used everything he learned from then about storytelling and structure and it was just really interesting I didn't they don't get the credit sometimes for actually just how hard that is to pull that off and just how great they are yeah i i yeah i would just love to go work on it i've lowered my sights i don't even have to create it i would just like a job working on south park please you got a 40 something work experience lad he wants coffees guys my name's will uh you get a return trip on the uh time machine i would have offered you one last time but uh, you come back on the podcast you get another trip on the time machine you can go to anywhere in the past anywhere in the future you can visit your own life you can ignore your own self i don't care as long as i get the machine back at the end of the flight where would you like to go i'd actually um i'm actually going to go into the future and uh i want to see both my daughters in their 30s right I want to I want to check in on them and see how how are they doing. Hopefully, I'll be able to do that. You know, uh, actually, myself in the time machine. But it'd be good. Good <laughs> to get a, Good to get a bit Never of a heads know. up. Sometimes you got to flick away. Just read the last page of the book in case you don't make it the whole way through. <laughs> Just have a quick Wikipedia. Yeah. How does it all end? Yeah. What's the uh, What's the end of this? Um, uh, yeah, that that I'd love to just see that, and then you can have your time machine back now. And if there's anything they need to know before, and I can I can sort of steer them away or just leave them alone to where they're heading or they shouldn't be heading, which is kind of probably a very helicopter. I mean, answer. I would that double guess every decision I made for the rest of their lives then, though, because you'd just be going, <laughs> how, how does what I'm doing right now influence what happens in the future? 
Yeah, and actually, I wouldn't have liked it if my dad went and found me at 30, you know, because actually where I am right now I is where, I, uh, where, I, where I'm meant to be. And I'm really, ha really happy with that. I don't have any any regrets i think i'm blessed to be right here in australia and everything that sort of led me here one way or another so um but yeah if i i, I would I, I'd, I'd find it hard not to just want to go into the future a bit and check they're all right and that they're, they're doing something they enjoy as much as i do enjoy doing what i do because i actually think as much as people say you got to find a vocation and you never work a day in your life that's, that's absolutely rubbish. bollocks you work every every it's minute of every day for the rest of your fucking life you'll if never I, not be at I'm work gonna get, get in that yeah. time machine Find whoever first said that and kick yeah. them in the balls and go. That you want to want to want to ruin something you love? Monetize it. Yeah. <laughs> Make it the way you pay yeah. your bill. <laughs> yes, it's you have to not love what you do. You have to love the work of what you do, and it's like that's 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 the key bit. Whatever that is, you got to embrace that. When there are days you don't want to do it, and you yeah, and you feel like you haven't got it in you, but you still know enough about what it means to you what that flicker still is or you can reconnect it or ignite it enough to get it going that is what i hope they're they're doing that in their lives and then i check in and see what will answer's up to it's probably now in his 70s see what he's doing is he working on <laughs> in south park <laughs> uh christian has a new book it, it is out in all good bookshops and airports and places you can find books um is there an audio book is there one written can people listen to you tell this story yeah yeah i did it i love it when people go people are sort of sending me messages going oh it's great that you did your own audio but i went a bit lazy i'm a radio guy it's where you really you know connect with me most of all i couldn't be bothered i've got someone it's like i've read a book yeah i'll read it to you it really annoys me when i get a book and then the author couldn't be bothered to just read it it's like i think it's a bit of a cop-out so yeah i actually quite enjoyed doing it and uh connecting with the story again and um getting it right and yeah you can get the audio book as well uh, and of course, Christian's uh, radio show, you can hear um, for Breakfast Radio in Melbourne, but it is also available nationally and there are podcasts. And so if you want to have a listen, you can uh, definitely access that. Mate, thank you so much for doing this. I, it was very nice to catch up. I love chatting to you. I always love chatting to you. I actually feel, I always feel better. I feel motivated. You're like a little therapist. It's free. Thank you. For your <laughs> therapist doesn't let you plug your book. <laughs> Uh, thank you very much, Will. I love chatting to you. Thank you, mate. Great chat. 